today on CityCast Denver. There's another snowstorm forecast to hit Denver today or tomorrow as we enter the first week of spring. Also, the trial over Denver police's alleged use of excessive force to dispel George Floyd protesters is entering its third week. We'll be following that one as the jury goes into deliberations. But today, we're talking about eating disorders. Here in Colorado, we have some of the top scientists and doctors in the country working on eating disorder issues. And earlier this year, one of them pushed the bounds of treatment further than many of her colleagues are willing to go. She argued that certain eating disorder cases can be considered terminal and that those patients should be allowed to pursue their own death with dignity. Really, a lot of psychiatrists that I talked to, I reached out to people from like Johns Hopkins and, you know, in Denver and around the country, and they were all pretty horrified and appalled that this this had happened. And it was sort of a, see, this is what we said, like it's the slippery slope. The Colorado Sun's Jennifer Brown spoke to Dr. Gaudiani, and she's here today to break down the story. And just a note, this conversation contains discussions of severe eating disorders and suicide. Today is Monday, March 21st, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. my AirPods. Okay. Somebody talk. Hello. Hello. Can you hear us? Yes. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. I don't do this very often. Jennifer Brown, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thanks for having me. So Jennifer, I want to start by catching people up a little bit on the legal status of aid and dying laws in Colorado. Five years ago, a majority of voters decided to allow doctors to prescribe aid and dying medication to their patients in certain circumstances. How has that law been implemented so far? Well, the state um, health department keeps track of that. And, you know, they just put out like their five-year report. So far in Colorado in those last five years, they've had 777 People uh, request the medication. And I mean, you could see on there that the overwhelming majority of all of these are some type of cancer. And then there's a whole section of neurological diseases. And really, after that, there's hardly anything. There's not one incidence on there where it's for anorexia, per se, or any type of psychiatric disease. So, really, cancer and neurological diseases and people who are already dying and want to use this medication, you know, to end their suffering but maybe choose when they die surrounded by people that they love and not in a hospital. You kind of brought this up, but we're looking at this issue now because you just reported on a doctor who specializes in treating um, people with eating disorders and she's prescribed this drug to patients with anorexia. And this is where the, the, the crux of the problem lies, is with that particular diagnosis. Can I ask how you found out about this doctor and, and a little bit about who is she? Sure. So somebody alerted me to this paper that she wrote. Um, her name is Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani. I'm Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani. My patients and their families call me Dr. G. She actually has licenses in 32 states. She's pretty sought out. She has a clinic over at Rose Medical Center, and she's been treating patients with anorexia nervosa for years. And patients with eating disorders have a lot of medical problems. 
they need a doctor with expertise in eating disorders who can bring the best medical care and also so much heart for the entire individual, for that interplay of body and soul in order to give them a better quality of life. So she wrote this paper that was published in February in the Journal of Eating Disorders, which is a national journal. And basically she argued that there's such thing as terminal anorexia, which first of all is a sticking point that not everybody would agree with. Um, But then second of all, she argued that if a patient has terminal anorexia and is dying, um, and dying in a really brutal way, um, starving to death, you know, literally, that they should be able to receive aid in dying medication. It, it's riveting. You know, I read it like twice all the way through because she goes through case studies of three patients that she had. And the first patient, you know, his name is Aaron, and he is someone who died from anorexia, who was never prescribed this drug, but her patient who made her think that maybe this was a humane thing to do. And then two other patients, both women, who Dr. Gaudiani ends up helping them get the medical aid and dying prescriptions. One of her patients actually co-authored this paper with Dr. Gaudiani um, that was published in the Journal of Eating Disorders. And this, this woman has since passed away. But why did she want to co-author the paper with this doctor? Well, and that was another controversial thing. You know, there were some psychiatrists I talked to who were like, wow, I can't believe that she used a patient that way. But when you read the paper and, you know, when I spoke to Dr. Gaudiani, I mean, basically how that happened is, you know, she's working with these two women who have basically given up on any kind of treatment for anorexia. They're both headed toward death. Um, They've sought hospice care. And this one, her name is Alyssa. She, you know, once was very successful. She did academic research at Stanford University, like an extremely smart woman um, who suffered with this disease since she was, you know, a little girl. She decides in the course of working with Dr. Gaudiani and seeking these aid in drying medications that she would like to co-author the paper, and she writes a section of it. Um, And even, you know, like four days before her death, she was emailing her thoughts about, you know, how grateful she was to have this opportunity to take this medication and to choose when to end her own life. And, um, you know, it was very compelling. She wrote about how she wished that she could live a normal life. But in reality, it was like she called herself dead woman barely walking because she just could not bring herself to eat or give herself enough calories, she could barely like walk around. Like she couldn't take a couple steps without, you know, stopping and having to catch her breath. In the end though, Alyssa, she filled the medication. She had it. She had picked a day when she was going to take it. And she was at her house, her parents' house actually in California. And she um, went unresponsive and died without ever ingesting the medication. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. 
Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. So this has raised concern among psychiatrists and physicians across the country. Um, In your story, you wrote, Gaudiani's case study added fuel to a long-term debate about whether the passage of right-to-die laws would lead to state-sanctioned death of people with mental illness and disabilities. Can you talk more about those particular concerns from medical professionals? Sure. I mean, that was the fear in the beginning, right? And every state that's passed this law, you know, 10 states now have aid and dying laws plus DC. And I think every time there is this big active group saying, oh, this is going to be used to kill people with mental illness. And so basically, I mean, she's doing what they said could happen. Um, But it it just gets so much trickier because um, anorexia is a complicated psychiatric illness, which also has this really brutal, harsh physical component. So really a lot of psychiatrists that I talked to, I reached out to people from like Johns Hopkins and, you know, in Denver and around the country, and they were all pretty horrified and appalled that this this had happened. And it was sort of a see, this is what we said, like it's the slippery slope. Like now what happens next? Like they're going to say, oh, somebody's depressed and, you know, not eating and they just want to die. So here's the medication. I I mean, I will also say that there were others who, you know, I talked to who said, you know, this isn't black and white. They weren't appalled. They were just, wow, this is going to open a big ethics debate. And that included like the Colorado Psychiatric Society as well as this group, um, Compassion and Choices, who were really behind the ballot initiative in Colorado, and they work for these things all over the country. Um, so I talked to one of their medical directors who lives in Fort Collins, and you know, he just said, I'm not advocating for using aid and dying for a psychiatric illness, but I'm also not saying that this is wrong. I'm saying that you know, nothing's black and white in medicine, is what he said. I'm very curious about Dr. Gaudiani and how she talks about this. What else can you tell me about her justification for this approach? Well, she was really interesting to talk to. Um, First of all, her argument is that, you know, anorexia nervosa in rare cases is terminal. And it's actually like the most deadly disease besides substance abuse in the DSM-5, you know, which is the big book of all the mental illnesses that exist. You know, what I learned is like more than half of the time, if people get early treatment, they will return to full weight and live normal lives and be cured, basically. And then the other, you know, 40-whatever percent of the time, most of those people will live with anorexia like their whole lives, but they will they call it like a harm reduction. Like there will be a certain amount of calories that they can tolerate ingesting and it's enough to live by, but the disease is not gone. And then there's this fraction of people, according to others and Dr. Gaudiani, that are going to die. 
So she would say that, you know, her core work is to help people recover and lead normal lives. But in these rare cases where someone's dying in a, you know, horrific way, um, it's her duty as a physician to, you know, ease their pain and give them some control over that death. Of course, others argued that suggestion is a power of coercion and and that, you know, people with a psychiatric illness, including anorexia, can't make that decision rationally, especially when they're starving and their brain is starved and they haven't eaten for weeks or months or years. You know, one of the patients in the paper, Aaron, he died when he was 33. And for the last two and a half months of his life, the only thing he had was water. So he was, you know, disfigured and could barely get around and, you know, lying in a bed in his parents' home. And he just could not find the energy or will to want to live enough to eat. So I don't know. It's very extremely complicated. Yeah. You know, in reading your reporting and and just now the way that you've relayed some stories of these patients is they're often surrounded by family. Um, How do they feel about watching their family members die in her care? Well, I didn't talk to any of them directly, but, you know, when you read the paper, you really see a lot of them because Dr. Gaudiani puts a lot of detail in there. And she always had multiple conversations with the parents of these three patients. And you can tell really that at first it was like, you know, this was their worst nightmare and that wasn't something to be entertained as an idea. Um, But after, you know, hours and hours of talking, they kind of allowed that this is how they were going to lose their child anyway. And this was you know, more humane way to do it. One of the women in the paper, Jessica is her name. She was so wanting to end her life that she was, you know, she purchased a gun even at one point and had a plan to kill herself. And, you know, her family came to the conclusion that she's going to die of this disease and they would rather have her die peacefully than do something violent like that with a, with a gun. So, in all of the stories, they, these three folks died in their homes, you know, after visiting with siblings and relatives and having their parents hold their hand as they passed away. I can't imagine being in that position um, ever. So I, I see the complexity of it. But I've thought so much about this since I read your reporting. And um, I don't know, I've just thought about people I've lost to suicide and how it feels like a bomb sort of went off and just, just like hit, just hurt so many people outside of this person when they don't realize that. But this is different in that these folks are in communication with their families about what their needs and their desires are for their lives. So it's really, I don't know, it has me thinking a lot. Mm-hmm. I've had all the same thoughts. So I hear you. What do you think will be the fallout or result of Dr. Gaudiani's paper? Well, so far, you know, the reaction has been pretty heated on both sides, I would say, like everything these days, of course. But, um, you know, right away when she wrote her paper, she got reaction from people who were so appreciative that she seems like one of these 
rare doctors who would actually consider this and be brave enough to go out there and and do it. And then, of course, people who think just the opposite of that and that she's taking advantage of people with a mental illness. Um, and that's pretty much the reaction I had to when we published the story. And I think that it will come up, this issue, I bet, when the next state debates adding aid and dying. But yeah, it it opens up a whole line of questions that I think we haven't thought about lately. So it's been really um, kind of a haunting story. Jennifer Brown, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Bree. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. Denver's March powwow returned last weekend after two years of a pandemic hiatus. According to Denverite, the gathering attracts tribal members from across the country and Canada for three days of dancing, drumming, and community. In the 1950s and 60s, Denver became a relocation city for people from many different tribes, and the government promised financial and housing assistance for families who left reservations. While much of that support never came, by the 1970s, Denver's indigenous population had grown and the powwow event was born. Camp Amachi has officially become part of the national park system. The location was an internment camp for Japanese Americans during World War II. CPR reports that President Biden signed the Amachi National Historic Site Act into law on Friday, meaning resources can now be used to protect and preserve the southeast Colorado site. Preservation of Camp Amachi is crucial to acknowledging Colorado's role in the U.S.'s wrongful imprisonment of more than 120,000 American citizens. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. This week, we're celebrating our one-year anniversary. We wanted to share some of the kind things you all have said about our podcast and newsletter, like Jesse, who wrote in to tell us that they, quote, love CityCast Denver because it allows new people that have moved to Denver to understand the city better. If you enjoy CityCast Denver as much as Jesse, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter, where today, Peyton has a roundup of education stories across the metro area. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Actually, I think it's today because my best friend texted me a picture of Charles Barkley in a like Easter looking suit and was like, it's the first day of spring.